Blog Talk Radio. Good morning out there in Blog Talk Radio land and those of you over in Rainbow Soul and iTunes and all the many platforms that we're on. I just want to welcome all of you here to this morning's Off the Shelf. And I'm going to start with a, a quote, and this quote is by Pablo Picasso, and it's action is the foundational key to all success. We know thought is very important, but at some point you got to take some action like today's guest did, uh, going after his dream of becoming a published author. Again, that's action is the foundational key to off the shelf. And to those of you who just clicked over or dialed in this morning, and the listener dialing is 347-994-3490. Again, that's 347-994-3490. Or you can join us in the chat room or, again, the different ways that you come in on the uh, different platforms to off the shelf. But I just want to let you know that you are listening to the winning book radio show, Off the Shelf. And this June 23rd, you guys, can you believe we're getting ready to head into July? It's it's time to do that mid-year review for yourself, whether you do it for your finances, your personal life, whatever you do, your career, to stop and see, am I on track? Do I need to make changes? Now, am I making the right action, the right action to get to the success that I want? And if you're looking as far as something to do, if you had a goal this year that you were going to read some phenomenal books. You were going to read books that entertained you and enlightened you and inspired you, and maybe through the stories you read about the fictional characters, they might spur something up in you, even if it's subconsciously, so you would begin to take the right action to start to live the life you want. Then I want to tell you about a book, Love Pour Over Me. There's mystery in this book. There's You've got romance, and there's a relationship between a father and a son that's very complicated. And we know our childhood relationships, do we ever get 100% free of them? They they shape us. They they really are like the architects of of our future, what goes on in our childhood. I don't know if anybody ever gets 100% free from it. It's like DNA. So this is what happens with the father and the son. And love pour over me. Raymond Clark, his father raises him as a single parent after his mother leaves and his dad has untreated alcoholism. And that's not a great combination. Raymond finds some kind of way to take the right action, though. He's academic success and athletic success. But his life really changes when he goes to college and he finds himself center of a murder mystery. But he also meets the love of his life there, Brenda So if you value relationships and if you value mystery and entertainment, I really encourage you to get a copy of Love Pour Over Me. You can get a copy in ebook or print format. And if you don't see it on the shelves, just ask the clerk to get your copy of Love Pour Over Me by Denise Turney, and they can order you a special copy because it's carried by the largest book distributors in the world. So please go treat yourself to a copy of Love Pour Over Me today. And now let us go and meet this our special off-the-shelf guest. We've been 13 years, you guys. We are 13 and a half years in here at Off the Shelf that we've been doing this, interviewing New York Times best-selling authors, Essence best-selling authors, people who you hear on the radio and see on television have been on Off the Shelf. And we are just delighted to add this morning's special guest, to our long list of distinguished guests who've been here on our show. And this morning's guest is Brooklyn Bourne. Now, Brooklyn is a native New Yorker, might be that uh, play on words, the Brooklyn Bourne. And he was born in the city of Brooklyn, but he spells his name, first name B-R-O-O-K-L-E-N, not not Y, but in place of the Y is an E. And so he was born in a city that his first name is so similar to. And Brooklyn is the author of short stories, novelas, and full-length novels. And included among his novels are The Interrogators, Savannah, Being Homeless is Not an Option, and The Right, and the right is spelled W R 
I-T-E, The Right Lover. And we are honored to have Brooklyn with us on Off the Shelf this morning. He has an associate's degree in criminal justice and a bachelor's in criminal justice with a minor in behavioral science. That would be a really good educational background for some real good novels. And you can listen this morning, just continue to listen to Off the Shelf to learn more about this up-and-coming author and his books. Welcome to Off the Shelf, Brooklyn. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. So happy to have you here with us. Now, one thing we like to give our listeners, cause especially when our shows go on archives, we get a lot of listens to uh, Off the Shelf shows. If you have a website, could you please give us your website so we can share it with our listeners? Yes, I have a website. It's under construction now, but it it will be www dot author Brooklyn Born spelled B R O O K L E N Born B O R N E dot com. It's under construction, so within a week, y'all should be able to pull that website up and see what I have on there. Okay, authorbrooklynborn dot com, and he spelled it out A U T H O R B R O O K L E N B O R N E dot com. You could bookmark it now, and he said in about a week's time he will have that uh, information there for you to enjoy. You know the covers of his books and little maybe some excerpts from his books or synopsis on his books. Uh, that you can learn more about him and keep up with his upcoming speaking events, et cetera, et cetera. Again, that's authorbrooklynborn.com. It is a pleasure to have you here with us, Brooklyn. Now, I tell all of our guests, uh, when I first started doing Off the Shelf, I just launched right into the questions, and guests, uh, listeners said to me, if you could just give us a little backstory on each guest before you launch into the questions. So I go about the first four to five questions I ask every single guest, who comes on the show. So our listeners, so like a, a gentle introduction to you for our listeners. So before we go into the questions, can you tell off-the-shelf listeners, Brooklyn, what life was like for you growing up in New York, particularly in Brooklyn, New York? Well, that it was a place of, of a city that never sleeps, fast, action pace, and uh, that's where you truly get your street knowledge from. And along with going to school, getting your book knowledge, it's, it was a very exciting place to grow up and many stories that can come from that city. And that's the title of some of my stories, you know. Um, there's, what, one million stories or three million stories in a naked city. So uh, it, it just, uh, it was a wonderful place at that time for me, you know. And um, I wouldn't trade that for nothing in the world. Do you have any siblings, and uh, uh, did you get into Manhattan? or uh, I know Harlem, a lot of people, Harlem has changed a lot over the decades. Oh, yeah. Did you get into Harlem? Did you get into Manhattan a lot? That's where a lot of the yes, things I, go on. Of course, in Brooklyn, too. Right, yeah. Well, I, I um, have five siblings. I'm the youngest of five, and um, I was okay. all over. I mean, you know, before I graduated high school, I was all over. I was of course, at Harlem, 125th, um, Adam Clayton Powell, you know, I went to the Apollo, and um, I hit all the boroughs, you know, I knew friends and knew people, and I just traveled to all the boroughs and hung out there, you know, growing up, listened to the um, hip-hop phase when that was coming up, and when I say phase, I'm talking when it first started, when hip-hop first started, um, before it was even named hip-hop, you know, it, it was great, it was a great scene. Are you still in and New then, York and Brooklyn? No, oh, no. I, I, I still have family and everything there. And uh, as of now, I'm in Ohio. And I'll be looking oh, back goodness. to move you to Texas. Oh, my goodness. You went from New York to Ohio? No, no, no. I went from New York to around the world. Um, I graduated. Uh, when I graduated high school, four days later, I was in the Marine Corps. So I stayed 22 years in the Marine Corps. And um, I traveled the world. So, and I've, I've seen things that I've seen, you know, would have never seen any other, otherwise, otherwise, and um, also seen it, you know, like in your history books, per se. And then actually looking at it, you know, like Hiroshima, you know, Paris, Guam, a lot of third world countries, uh, Philippines. It, it was great. It was a great experience. So, uh 
for me not to live back in New York because it's changed so much back home. You know, it's very expensive. And so you go where you can get more bang for your buck. You know, I want, I have, you know, want a house with, with a lot of land and everything like that. So there's things like that you look at when you get older. Yes, yes. Is Brooklyn your born name? I have to ask you that. No, it's not. It's uh, when I was in the military <laughs> and a lot of our friends, you know, they always said, you know. Oh, uh, Okay. Yeah, they called me, you know, Brooklyn, you know, especially when we go on operations and everything like that. We wouldn't use our rank or names, and they would say, you know, your nickname or something like that. So they always called me Brooklyn. Oh, oh okay. And so Can that's you tell when us? I took that and made that's that into. Uh, yes, uh, and I took. I'm sorry, you broke up a little bit. I said you took on that name when you were in the military. Yes, uh, and then I, I got up there and uh, took it and turned it into my uh, writer's name, you know. So that's where I came up with Smart Brooklyn move, Born and changed the Y. Name, and so is the the, the born the well, born name as well, well. Well, see, this is around the time also the movie Jason Bourne was out as well. <laughs> and so. You know, it was action packed, and I liked it. And I said, "That's that's I like that." And I said, "How can I make something like that a catchy name for me?" And that's when I went with Brooklyn Born, and changed the um, like I said, added E to the word Born, and took out the Y and added E. So you know, okay. that's how I play with words on that. Now, what did you dream of becoming? You spent 22 years in the military, went straight into the service a week after you graduated from high school, and I'm sure you broke your mom's heart. It's enough to know your child is out of school, you're happy, and you know they're going on their own, so you're kind of mixed emotions. And then you go straight into the military and travel the world. But when you were a young, young boy, seven, eight years old, what did you dream of becoming? Well, everything, you know, a firefighter, you know, normal stuff. Um, pretty much like that. I wanted to be a firefighter or possibly a, a, like an a agent. I wanted to be like a CIA or FBI. You know, growing up in Brownsville, I didn't really want to be a police officer at the time because I seen how police officers was treating, you know, um, the people in my area and neighborhoods. And that's around mm-hmm. the time, you know, with civil rights and everything like that going on. So, as a little kid, you see all that. Times I, when I went into the um, for my degree, I wanted to get into that uh, field to see what it was really about and how could I make a little difference. And so that's why I um, went with the criminal justice with a minor in behavioral science. And I did the uh, police officer for a little bit, but you know, as you look at dealing with different people, certain things just is just not a fit for you. So you want to work for yourself, so I'm in a position where I can do that. That's very, that's you know, that's very that intelligent. Around. That's intelligent that you knew this isn't for me. Instead of pushing it and sticking with it and trying to force it, force it to work. So I really commend you on that because so many of us work jobs we don't really want to work, and we're miserable. But we it helps to pay the bills, and that's that's really. With, uh, well, definitely, you, and that's that you no, and that's definitely understandable. And so, you know, when you're in, especially in that type of a job, you know, you're in a position where you might have a situation under control, and then another person comes in and, and it makes it a volatile situation. And you know, my thing was to come home every night, and so I wasn't going to let anybody jeopardize that. Um, in my life, you know, if they want to go on and, and jeopardize theirs, well, they can go ahead, but not mine. So I decided to get back into writing. And also in the military, one of my friends, we would, when we'd be cleaning weapons and things like that, uh, we just talk about stories, you know, just like a, a rapper that could freestyle, we would come up with freestyle stories, you know, um, things that we experience and, or, made up things that, you know, we can come up with a story. And the stories I would tell, it was more action-packed, more lore, you know, like um, like inner-city urban things. And um, a lot of people thought it was real. And I said, no, it's not real. I made that part up or I made that story up. 
And another friend said, well, you should start turning them into books. And then uh, once I got out the uh, military, retired from the military, you know, I started looking into that. And now I'm pursuing that. So you, I was going to ask you how old you were when you knew you either wanted to be a writer or you realized, oh, this is this is the field, the path I should be on. It's so well, it, you didn't, it didn't happen until you joined, went into the service. Pretty much, because I dabbled a little bit when I was in high school. I wrote a story, and my English teacher said I should put it in a statewide essay, and I never did, you know, because. Like I said, the streets was appealing to me. I was out in the streets, and um, as time went by, I said, "Well, let me let me go ahead and do this because I go to movies, I look at movies, and I some some of the movies I said, how could this be made? You know, how did they make this into a movie, or how was this on a television show? It's it's it was phony. It's it's just not realistic. And uh, I said, well, let me see what I can do. Let me write. And when I wrote some stories, I let family read them. And, you know, you know, you're going to get that love from your family and close, close friends. So I said, let me go ahead and put it out there a little bit further. So I let, you know, I wanted their friends and stuff to read. And I was getting the same feedback. And uh, it went as far as I have a great following in um, Osaka, Japan, um, South mm. Africa, Germany. You know, so I have overseas, um, um, you know, fans as well. And so I have a few people, too, from overseas that I, when I write a book, I get it out, I send it to them um, for their uh, input as well. And uh, also, some of those fans and friends that I have, I even have them in my book as characters in it. So it's paying homage to those that, you know, support me and, and you know, enjoy my reading. Oh, I have to commend you. You said you got your street education and and then you went into the service, and then you just took you just kind of let it unfold on its own. It sounds like, and now you're you're doing your writing. So, what were some of the topics that you wrote about before we talk about Savannah and have you introduce us to Savannah? Can you tell us about some of the topics that you wrote about when you be, you first started writing those short stories? You know, you said you was like a, it was like a freestyle rap the way you did it, but mm-hmm. was there like a, did you see a theme to the stories, the topics that you were writing about when you first started writing your short stories? Yeah, it was like an end to the means. It was like some people, the the characters I would write about, they would do, uh, as society would say, some bad things to um, make something good happen. You know, they may have hurt uh, somebody to get information to help somebody. Uh, you know, and, and during their journey, if they ran across a lot of money, they would turn it into like homeless shelters, um, uh, food banks, just things to help other people. So that's the type of stories that I like to write. Uh, Almost like they say, rob is it, from is the rich, give to the poor Robin person. Hood kind of story? Yes, a little bit in there. And, and it's all my stories have a little bit of that in it. It also have a little bit of my life in it. It have, uh, you know, my parents, um, they name may be in there, uh, my old phone number, my old address, certain streets. It's every story that you read is a piece of me in every single story. Yeah, you know what, as an author, I don't. I think that, that even when we intend to keep ourselves out, we somehow find ourselves in, in our stories when we go back and reread them. Now, Brooklyn, please introduce us to Savannah. Please give us a brief synopsis or overview of the book. Oh, okay. Well, let me give you the beginning of that. Uh, Savannah and Interrogators was both uh, based off of if somebody did something to you very malice, with malice, and you was able to get revenge, per se, without spending one day in jail or one minute in a courtroom, what would you do? And that's how I came up with these two stories. The interrogators is the male side because it's a team of former Marines. It's all male. And Savannah was uh, is a, a female. So I uh, just wanted to give you two sides of it. And when you run across people that that's very nice, that's easygoing, and you happen to cross them for no reason whatsoever, 
this may be the result of you crossing that person. And Savannah is uh, a hard-charging woman that was just minding her business, had a beautiful family, did everything, you know, family-wise, and law-abiding citizen. Until that day, something happened to her, and it disrupted her family life, where death occurred, and she went on. Um, she tried to let the police handle it through the normal channels, and they wasn't. They were dragging their feet, so she went and took uh, justice into her own hands. And she's not a vigilante. She just did something that probably every last one of us would like to do or wish we could do if something like that would happen to us. Wow. Oh, my goodness. I was going to ask you, without giving the plot away, we certainly don't want to do that. I was going to ask you, how did Savannah go from living a perfect suburban life, if you could just describe her life before this event happened? Uh, It sounded like she was living this perfect suburban life to living on the dark side. What was her life like before the event happened? And, And also, if you could... Not giving a story away, but did the event? Did, was it something from her past coming back to haunt her? The event that no, not her past, not her past at all. It was a, a mistaken identity. Um, somebody was going to um, how could I say bribe a judge in a violent way, and they went to the wrong house. So instead of 3285 Livington Street, they went to 3285 Livingston Avenue, and they went into the wrong home, and that that's what started all of this, you know. Wow. Uh, dark side on her. But as far as her going to the dark side as well, she was former military as well, and I had it where she was in a, a all-female team, combat team. And I did that before they actually started letting women into doing combat roles. I already had this written up as her and the girls she was the girls she was with as a combat unit. And uh, so when this event takes place, now that she's a civilian, and this event takes place uh, or took place, she, um, you know, called back to her friends and family because she had some cousins that was in the military too that was within that unit and they went and did you know what they was trained to do to get results Mm. it's it's hard to really get it to tell you but you know it's 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 an action-packed uh series and that's why i had to come up with a, a book number two which i put out the end of the year called savannah's fury now she would would so she's how long has it been since she's been out of the service when this event occurs? And then I wanted to ask you uh, another question after that. How long has she been out of the service? And is she like your? If you would would you describe her uh, as like your typical suburban mom or typical suburban wife? Yes, she has been out uh, seven years since. Uh, this oh, incident. Okay. She's been out the military seven years since this incident. And yes, suburban, you know, lived uh, outside of uh, uh, Washington, D.C., in the suburbs of Maryland, and um, did her regular nine to five. She worked, you know, for the uh, government, and not as a, like a FBI or CIA, but just, you know, government employee. And she had two sons, a loving husband, and life was great for her. You know, life after the military, and uh, you just see as as an everyday person. If you to walk past her when you speak, she's very pleasant. But at the same time, when this situation took uh, took place with her family, she's not the woman that you want to mess with. You know, so that's how I I, I did that and and brought that in. Where did you get the idea? Because I mean, that's a new one on me. That concept. Where did you get the idea? Okay, somebody's going to. Well, you hear about you know that I, I they somebody shot the wrong person. You will hear that mm-hmm. happen. They're like, I thought the person was Joe, but it wasn't Joe, and now somebody innocent who had nothing to do with the situation is dead. But 
the concept of they're going here, where did that spring up in your mind? Did that come from like a real life thing you heard in the news? We've had authors, something in the newspaper. I think St- Stephen King said he even did that. He saw something in the newspaper and he just ran with it, it with a novel. A concept for your story, Savannah Interrogators, is so intriguing to me. Did it just pop up in your mind, or was something you saw on TV or in the newspaper that just kind of jiggled your mind, and then you worked with it? Well, I was looking at a documentary in reference to um, cartels, and the drug cartels, they, you know, they don't care who, they go after politicians and everything like that. Um, who's trying to stop them for their money flow. And then at the same time, I looked at a documentary with the mafia, and it all was running along the same channels where they was going after judges, going after um, assistant attorney generals, everything like that. So I was like, you know, what happens if somebody got in trouble and they was looking to get to this judge or attorney general and he went to the wrong house and hurt the wrong person. And that's how I came up with the beginning of that story like that. Wow. What, describe Savannah's husband. We know she has a military background. She's been out of the military for seven years. She's obviously a woman with skills. You don't want to wake those skills up, I would imagine. But what's her mm. husband like? What's his past like? Is he, is, does, does, is he or has he in the past been involved with something that might bring this to their doorstep? No, he was a clean-cut guy that after high school, you know, he's in a, he's a tech guy, and that's what he was working, doing tech, you know, uh, work for different companies and everything like that. And she just happened to um, meet him because she used to work on a base. Uh, it's a base that was outside of uh, Washington that she worked at, and he was one of the tech guys. And that's how they got involved with each other and um, dated for a while and got married. He was a clean-cut guy, no uh, bad past or, or criminal history, anything like that. And it was just, like I said, a loving family. They was doing well, you know, living the so-called dream. Everything was fine. Wow. Now, the interrogators, what's the connection between Savannah and the interrogators? You told us at the start. Now, there is a second book to Savannah. But what's the connection again yes. between the book Savannah and the interrogators? Well, the interrogators is along the same, pretty much the same line, but there's a, a bunch of guys are undoing the, uh, uh, the drug, this drug uh, uh, kingpin was trying to recruit certain people, and uh, one of the kids that he went after didn't want to do it. And he wound up killing the kid. And um, the brother of the kid, he was, of course, he was in the Marine Corps. He was stationed in Japan, and he got the word he needed to come home because his brother was killed. And nobody knew right off, you know, why he was killed and how he was killed till um, some word got out that he was killed by this guy. So he called some of his friends that was former Marines, and he knew that they would, you know, they would go with him on anything he needed to do to find these answers on who killed his brother. And what they did, each person that they ran across or that was a name on their list, how they interrogated them is the key. You know, interrogation, like if you do the police interrogation, they get you in a room, they talk to you, they lie to you, whatever they got to do to get you to confess. Well, these guys get up there and they will hurt you. They will break fingers. You know, they will cut you till you tell them a name or who was behind uh, shooting his brother. And then they go to the next person, the next person, till they finally got to who they needed to be, you know, who was the main guy. So that's how that went. And it takes you through the four of the five boroughs. Oh, this is in New York, and the city yes, that you this, know so well that you grew up in. Right. See, Savannah takes place in, in Maryland, D.C., a little bit of New York, and part of North Carolina, whereas the interrogators takes place in um, Brooklyn, Bronx, Queens, and Manhattan. You know, your, your books sound like they would make fantastic movies. Have you ever – do when you write, do you see – the story unfolding like you're watching a movie, number one, and then I wanted to ask you a 
piggyback question on that. But is that how you write? Do you see the scenes actually like they were playing out on a movie screen? Yes, exactly. And that's how I write it as I'm looking at a movie. I know what kind of movies I like to enjoy um, looking at with uh, great beginnings and, and understanding endings. And so that's how I write them out. And uh, matter of fact, the uh, a few of these books I'm getting ready to push early next year overseas. I'm going to try um, France and Japan first to see what happens. I was I'm going to ask you now, there. yes, I was going to ask you, even if you did it in like a, you know, people always think major motion picture, but you could put out a movie like some people put out stage plays. Uh, like Tyler Perry when he started, you don't have to start big. You can actually start small and do something local, and then it grow and grow and grow. Have you have have you said you know this this would make a great movie? And maybe I don't start out so big, but I start small and it grows. Is that something you thought about? What you're saying, starting overseas, that you're going to go after that next year? No, I wanted to hit. Um pretty much right in the middle. I want I want something like Netflix, things like that, I like for here, but I look at different um, films that's made overseas and see if they're in the same genre um, that I write in. And uh, because any of these stories that I write can take place in any city. All you have to do is change the characters, and it would still fit that storyline. You know, it's up to the actors that's there to portray that feeling. And so okay. um, I think it's better to, just like a lot of um, star athletes um, and singers, they made it big overseas before they came back to the United States. So that's why I think the market is a little bit better for American um, um, books and everything overseas as far as being turned into movies. Now, how did back to the interrogators before we uh, talk about the right lover? How did Frank Barrington? How did he get out of the Marines? And then I'm also interested at what 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 made him want to go in? Did he just want to be like a tough guy? That's why I think a lot of people become cops. They want authority. They want they want to be in a position where they feel powerful and like you can't even tell me no. You don't. I have so much power now. You can't even say no to me. And I think that would no. drive people subconsciously into some of these fields. What what drove Frank into the Marines, and uh, how did he get out? Well, the thing is, when Frank joined the Marines, is he joined because after graduating high school, he didn't really set himself up for college because he didn't want to go to college. And he, um, even though he was smart enough to, he just didn't want that burden of financial aid, not only on himself but on his father because his mother had passed away when he was young. So living with his father, he didn't want his father trying to scrape and, and for money to help him out in college. So he decided he wanted to go in the Marines, even though his father was former Navy. The reason he picked the Marines, he figured growing up in New York, he was, you know, he was – not a bully or nothing like that, but you know, growing up in New York, you have to have thick skin. You're a tough guy. So if I'm going to join, if he's going to join the military, he might as well go with the toughest branch. So he joined the Marines. And um, <laughs> to get, and when he got out of the service, he just did his time. You know, his uh, four years was coming up um, with his brother. You know, with his brother's death. So when he got out, you know, he did a little bit when he was on leave. And, uh, you know, they gave him 30 days leave um, because of his brother's death, and he did what he could um, during that time. So when his time was up, then he decided to come on out. But he did do those actions with his friends while he was still a Marine. Oh, okay. What is he like when you when you think of a Marine and don't want to be uh, stereotypical, stereotype people? You think of... In my mind, this this tough guy who he's he never gets emotional, never gets afraid. He doesn't cry. He doesn't feel like a lot of general emotions. He's just kind of going through almost emotionless through life. Mm-hmm. A doer, a doer, not somebody who who feels emotion. There to protect, uh, pay the bills, 
But uh, somebody who, who, if he was a father, his kids would say, my dad worked hard and paid the bills, but I, it was very hard to be close to him. Is that Frank? Well, how would you describe Frank? No. Frank was opposite of that. You know, he was a loving guy, carefree guy. Um, you know, he didn't let anything stereotypical, you know, become of him. Like, he's from New York. He's a Marine. He's supposed to be loud. He's supposed to be obnoxious. No, he didn't let that go down like that in his life. He wasn't like that at all, you know. But he know how to be real firm, and he know how to handle his business in the right way. So, you know, you would some people take nice guys for a weakness. Well, if you take Frank for a weakness, then you'll find out that was another mistake. Just like Savannah, you mess with her is a mistake. You mess with Frank is the same thing. But otherwise, he was a he was a real great guy, person to be around with, and everything like that. That's the personality now, I have. What? I don't have no bullies or or you know okay you know the the, the typical lock jaw type guy. No, Mm-mm. this is an everyday person. Now, that... Okay. Now, while, while, while he's pursuing his brother's murderers, did he, because uh, this happens in real life as well. When I watch, like, real-life stories about a crime that happened, this happens in real life. <laughs> while he's pursuing his brother's murderers, did he discover things about his own family that he would have preferred not to know? No, not in this case. Not in this case. Um, in Savannah, she found out her father worked for the CIA. She never knew that. But during her pursuit, she found out. But in Frank's case, no, it wasn't like that. It was just getting together. Uh, he had a, a cousin um, named Shanine that was uh, was in the hip-hop world, so she had that connection but she turned executive so she had both sides she had the executive side she had the street side as well so he used all his um connections and um to find out who was behind the murder of his brother and and bring justice street justice per se and um with that being said the monies that they found with this person they they took that and, and distributed in the community they didn't take not one dime they built a safe haven place for kids to come to uh, after-school projects to so they can learn music, they can learn math, they can get tutored, things like that he did. So that's the type of guy he was and the people he, he uh, recruited to help him. At the same time, for their time, he did um, financially take care of um, his friends and his cousins uh, for life at the same time. With some of the money. Wow. Now, now, did you write the interrogators and the right lover around the same time? And I, I asked that because both of the books were published in 2012. So, were you pumping out both of these books at the same time? Uh, Savannah, interrogators, and the right lover was all in progress at the same time. Wow. And uh, the right How lover. How did you juggle about, writing three? Go um, ahead. You know so. Uh, some people get writer's block. So if I come up on a little, okay, um, you know, come a little block on one story, I just go to the next. And and then I've just rotated, and it worked out fine for me. That's just, I'm a, an orthodox writer. <laughs> you know, I just write it out, uh, write the scenes out, and I'm together as a puzzle. And then I bridge them good, and then I look them over again and make sure that bridge is correct. And if it's not, I wipe out the bridge and redo it. And so I had no problems doing those three like that. Now, when you t- when you say bridge and how you write for our listeners who themselves would like to be in your shoes, Brooklyn, and be a, a come a published author, can you go into a little bit more detail when you say you write the bridge and if it doesn't work, you take it out and rework it? Well, the bridge for me when I use the word bridge. The uh, first chapter have to connect to the second chapter, to the third, and on, and it has to make sense. You cannot write, for example, this person was 30 years old, and then um, later on in the story, like say a week later, that person's 32. You got to make little story, you know, with the different characters. You got to make sure that they stay 
consistent and um, the bridges to keep the reader interested into the next chapter. So that's where your bridges go, and you got to make it realistic. Because if I write, uh, um, like, say, 165th Street on Jamaica Avenue, if I write um, it's a suburban street uh, with certain um, kinds of houses, the reader's going to say, get out of here. Because, see, that's a, that's where um, your commercial's at. That's where your store's at. That's a main strip mm-hmm. in, in Queens. It's just like <laughs> Fulton Avenue. So you got to keep it realistic. You have to do your research. And so when you bridge something, you have to keep that interest um, to the next, to the you know, to the next chapter, to the next scene, like that. Right, and you want to you want to end on a, enough of a cliffhanger, but a realistic, because some some cliffhangers are like you said, they're so unbelievable that you're like nah, and you just lose interest in the story. It well, has to be good, but but also believable and make sense with with what you've already shared. Uh, with the reader now, without giving the story away, what, what's going on in the right lover? Well, the right lover is is a reference to two authors. Uh, I wrote a background on how they became authors and how they journey brought them together. And the right lover is thus far is the only uh, love novel that I've written that uh, takes you on this emotional roller coaster. Which is um, um, I can't think of the movie as of now. Uh, it's an old movie, it's a black and white, but it's a heartbreaker, and that's what I wanted in this story. I wanted, I wrote it as a movie. Whereas if the movie goes when they come out the movie, they don't have time to recover. Like if you see something, a very emotional movie, you you may tear up or you may cry, then you can recover and you come out the movie. I want the people's eyes still red, face still wet when they come out and the next set of moviegoers say, wow, was it that powerful? And they shake their head, yes, and you got to go and see this. That's what the right love is about. It's about what will you sacrifice for true love? And in this story, one was willing to give up their life to have life. Wow. And that's what this story is about. It's very intense. It sounds like it. Now, can you introduce us to Jasmine Devereaux and Darius Hamilton? Can you describe, I know you said the difference in what their motives, but which one that gives it, give, is willing to give up all? What is it, but first, if you could describe Jasmine and then Darius, what are their own individual Motives. What are their own individual personalities like? Well, Jasmine, she is uh, one of those straight A college students who, uh, to look at her, she's very beautiful. She's very sexy, but she don't exhume that per se. She don't get up there and think that, oh, this is how I look. This is I'm gonna use my body to get over. She's just a carefree, trying to go to school, do her job, and uh, get her degree. And uh, she wasn't like a student athlete, anything like that. She was more into her book at certain um, uh, the clubs that she was in had nothing to do with, you know, being an athlete. Whereas uh, Darius, he was an athlete, and uh, he's another one that, um, you know, he didn't make it to the um, NFL. And he decided to join the military as well. So he just joined to to get a jump start on life. And he did his four years. And um, upon coming out, he was injured on one of the missions that he was on. And when he came home, uh, while he was recovering, um, he started writing. And that's where he started developing to his um, writing skills. And became very good at it and became uh, very prosperous, you know, doing his stories. And at an event, that's where he met, uh, I'm jumping a gun on Jasmine, but uh, that's where he met Jasmine because she was doing, she was writing as well. But she was just writing for fun and just wanted to go to these events for experience. And that's how they met. At the time that, they uh, met, they both were married. 
as well. Oh. And I go in, and I go into each one of their lives as you know, with their spouses and what happened in their lives and then what brought them, um, Jasmine and Darius, together as one. And that's so a more realistic like, story, too. So are their marriages good? It sounds like the way um, right now when I'm listening to you, like they're supposed to be together, Jasmine mm, and Darius. Yes. yes. Because they was in a relationship, as a lot of people can contest, they may be with someone that they shouldn't be with. I mean, they arguing, they fighting, and I know marriages are not, you know, hundred um, percent beautiful across the board. You know what I'm saying? It's not just roses per se, but their uh, relationships with their spouses was wasn't wasn't healthy at all. It's very volatile in certain situations. And so they got out of it, and they got together, and it was a relationship oh, that supposed I thought, to be. I thought they were like had an affair. So at least when you know it's not working, you should just yeah, don't don't well, do it, and then take up with somebody well, else. Because then that's like, okay, are you thinking clearly here? <laughs> well, see, that's the over, thing too. Over. I did. I didn't. I I went to that part with over's over, but yes, they did have a little affair too. That's going on in there too. But okay. you have to read the book because it's, it's unlike um, black and white, cut and dry. It's 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 something that you have to read, and you can say, okay, I see why they did it. Because see, a lot of people that have read it already, they first they was you know the the morals and everything like that, you know, because people would read it and they would call me or, or, or text me and say, why did this happen? Why this? And the, and the moral part of it. And I just say, keep reading. And as they read, some people didn't like Jasmine nor Darius. But as they read, they glad they was very glad that them two got together as one. And let me ask, let me say this to you. You ever seen a movie, Imitation of Life? No, that I haven't, no. It's sort of like along the lines of the... Well, it's a scene in there where, you know, the woman, she she died of a broken heart because of her daughter. Her daughter was very uh, light-skinned to pass for white, and the mother was very dark-skinned, and nobody ever thought that was her daughter. And Mm. the daughter just treated her mother so bad when she, you know, this is my (laughs) daughter. Well, no, you're not. And the heartbreak of that story is the heartbreak in this story. And that's why I said one to give you life, you know, one is willing to give up their life to have a life. And that's why uh, it's a very intense scene and, you know, where you want to, you want Jasmine and Darius to be together. And then when they are together, it's like, it's perfect. And then I hit you with a turn in that story, in that piece where you just start crying. And that, is the key to this story. <laughs> I'm trying to tell Who you without co- telling you. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. Who did the <laughs> cover to your book, well, Homelessness is Not an Option? That cover is so creative. I love that cover. Who designed the book cover for Being Homeless is Not an Option? Well, I was with, a, I started out with this uh, company that, it wasn't really great. It was just something to get um, a novella out. And I told them what the story was about, and they came up with that cover. I'm no longer with them, so I won't say their name. And uh, I have rewritten that story into my book of short stories. <coughs> that cover is is abstract for our listeners. Being homeless is not an option. It is abstract, and it jumped out at me right as I, first time I saw it. And it is just one of the best book covers to me. Do you get, do you get comments from readers about the cover? It's just an eye-catching cover. Well, yes, I did. But like I said, with that uh, company per se, I stopped um, promoting it. 
um, after the contract was over with because the books they was putting it, it was just ridiculous, you know, the the price of the book and everything like that. So, I mean, I love that cover. Couldn't use it um, when I went, when I, my contract was over with. So uh, I took that story and put it in my, um, my new book, um, Any Given City, under the title, A Second Chance. Well, so you can't. Can you talk about being homeless is not an option, or uh, yes, the, the second. Okay, because I'm that, yeah, that it, one was interesting. Can you tell our readers, uh, give them an overview of this story? Yes, it's about a gentleman who um, ran on hard times. I'm also, you know, um, a father of two, uh, married, but his uh, wife was more materialistic. Uh, than, you know, into materialistic things than loving her family. And uh, he had lost his job due to uh, downsizing and because uh, he was a contractor. And he tried out for other jobs and he got it, but it wasn't paying the money he used to get and living the lifestyle that his wife liked living because she was up for a partnership in a law firm as well. So she liked this certain style, like uh throwing these certain parties and being that his money wasn't like it used to be. He was trying to tell her, you know, let's cut down on a lot of this stuff. She wasn't having it. And, uh, she ended up walking out on him and his children. So it went from him having a home and everything to actually him and his two girls moving into a shelter. And then how his cousin Caressa from New York happened to be down there, uh, in Washington, D.C., um, in a conference, she was a, on, on a conference, and she happened to run across him in the streets, and they started talking, and she brought him back to New York, and the story goes from there how he got himself back on his feet and everything, and uh, that's another little uh, tearjerker very near at the end on what he did to uh, get himself back on track and what he's doing to help others that was in in the same situation as he. Because there are a lot of fathers out there that take care of their family. You always hear about the mothers taking care, but you don't hear or even the fathers get the credit of them being a single parent. And that's what that story was based on, was a, a single father handling his business to make sure that his family was straight. And that's what that story is about. Now he was laid off from his corporate job. Um, did was that? Does this story take place like during the recession, two thousand eight, two thousand and nine? It's around that time frame, and uh, when they were doing a lot of let goes, you know, the companies were letting go on a lot of people. That's what I want to uh, base that story on, as far as a father losing his job due to that, and what he did to get back on his feet. And that and that was based have, in the um, Maryland, Washington D.C. area as well. I have to ask you, how long were James Brentwood and his wife married before she before she left? And I know you may not want to get don't want to get a story away, but does she come back into her in his kids' lives? I just can't imagine being a mom and just leaving and never, never returning back to see your kids. How long were they married before she left? And does she come back? I got I have them married at the uh seven years, seven year called the seven year wow. itch per se. And um you have to read the story to see if she come back. Can't tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> wow, seven years and, and she's got two little girls and and, and, she just and yes, she walks she walks away from them all. And and that's a uh, a scene in there which have her little girls crying too because they're yelling out for oh. her. They're yelling, um, mom, you know, mom, mom, and um, she just walks out. It, it's it's really yeah. it's really crazy. It's a really crazy uh, scene, but it's it's a realistic scene. Well, with only about five minutes left, I wanted to talk a little bit about book publishing now as we come to the end of today's show. But I want to start off by asking you, if you weren't writing and publishing books, we know you were in the military. If you weren't today writing and publishing books, Brooklyn, what do you think you'd be doing right now? 
Well, I would probably be um, working like I, I like airplanes, and that was my um, job in the in the military. I worked around aircraft, so I'd probably be working at Boeing, something like that, Northrop. Uh, those are the places I'd probably be, you know, working and doing. But I'm fortunate enough to have put money away and, and make enough money that I don't have to uh, work. Uh, per se, the nine to five. I'm working writing. I'm working with a, a good friend that's another author, Anthony Pathfinder, on a publishing company. Um, it, it's just uh, my wife and I now, we starting also a, a, a photograph uh, photography company. So it's a lot of things that I'm doing now that uh, if I wasn't doing those things, I'd probably be working at, like I said, Boeing, uh, Northrop, uh, which is a military contract for aircraft. Can you share three to four steps that you have taken that, that have from you proven to be effective at getting the word out about your books? Well, one, you write quality books. Don't write books that everybody else is writing. Um, step out into what I mean by that. It's five of us in a room, and we all can write about a bank robbery that takes place in Baltimore, Maryland. But each one of us have our own take, our own separate way of how this robbery is going down. Don't look at somebody else's work and say, I want to write it like that. Write your own style. And don't worry about if this person is getting more um, um, notoriety than you are. Your time will come. Write for yourself. If you write for yourself, the readers is going to like your work. You know, I don't write for just everybody because you're going you're gonna to just write a smorgasbord of mess. Write a good piece, <laughs> a good storyline that you're really going to enjoy, and everybody else will like what you've written and go with it from there. And be around positive people. You're going to have people that's going to tell you you shouldn't do this, you're not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. But if you feel that that's something strong, you feel strong that you want to do, do it. And like everything else, like everything else, find your niche because everybody is not a singer. Everybody is not an athlete. Everybody is not a fireman or, you know, fire person. So everybody cannot be a writer. If that's not your niche, don't go and push something like that. But, if that's something you want to do, seek assistance, seek help, and seek those authors that's willing to help you. Yes, yeah. And, and again, some, I think the biggest payoff, and J.K. Rowling who, who said this, is when you, the author, enjoy the story. So, I mean, even if it never sells, um, I'm thinking about uh, Emily um, Dickinson, I want to say her name, um, she never even really tried to push her books hard. And some people, Van Gogh, as an artist, his work didn't take off to after he passed away. But did it ever mm-hmm. take off? So when you do it for yourself, for the for what the fact that you enjoy doing it, that's probably the biggest pay. Every reader is not going to like what you write. I don't care how good it is. So you want to, again, that is, that's a great, that excellent so advice. Correct. Be true to yourself. Be true, be true to yourself. Where are you on social media? Where can off-the-shelf listeners find you on different social media sites, Brooklyn? Well, believe it or not, I'm on Facebook, but I'm not on anything else. I'm not on Instagram, but I'm um, going to be on Instagram as well. I wanted to make sure my website was up. So I'll be look for me on Instagram uh, within a week as well. But as of now, you find me on Facebook, um, WW, you know, author Brooklyn Born. Um, that's where you can find me. And uh, look for me in the other social medias real soon. Okay, so hopefully he'll be getting on Twitter and, and Instagram because, you know, these social media sites, one's on top one moment and then boom, then it's falling off. I, and then you got well, another one. It, and, uh, exactly. You know, like Twitter and Facebook are run by the same people. So, you know, uh, eventually I get back on Twitter and everything like that. Uh, the reason I have not been um, too much on, on uh, social media is because I'm working on a few more stories, and I want to have those completed. So I was 
spending all my time getting those out the way. Um, but uh, I have a lot more stories coming your way. So when I put that website up and get back on Twitter, you start seeing them coming out. And like I said, look yep. for me uh, with Anthony Pathfinder. I'm working on a story with him. Um, I have a series out, absorption series with um, Michelle um, Donna Michelle uh, Ramos, and that's a bunch of short stories out. And also, uh, my wife and I is going to be working on a few stories as well. So you know, we're doing okay. photography. We're going to do our stories together. So we have some stories coming out that that's really going to keep you very much entertained. All right, we've got Brooklyn has a lot going on, and we want to thank him for being here with us, our special guest here on Off the Shelf on this June the 23rd, 2018. And Brooklyn, again, he's a native New Yorker. You guys grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and he's written short stories, novelists, and novels. And some of his novels are The Interrogators, Savannah, Being Homeless is Not an Option, and The Right. Lover. He's online. His website, he said it should be out in about a week. It's ArthurBrooklynBorn.com. That's A-U-T-H-O-R-B-R-O-O-K-L-E-N-B-O-R-N-E.com. And you can find them, Arthur Brooklyn Bourne, on Facebook. We want to thank Brooklyn Bourne for being here with us here on Off the Shelf. His books sound like such they would make such great movies, and I hopefully one day we will see uh, some of his books up on the silver screen. So thank you to Brooklyn, and we want to thank each of every one of you are off-the-shelf listeners. If you came in on the show midstream, as soon as it finishes streaming, you can go back and listen to it in its entirety uh, in the archives. And as I always tell you on this beautiful, glorious Saturday Remember, you are awesome. You are amazing. You are incredible. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. Brooklyn, I'll shoot you an email. Bye for now. Uh, All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me.